if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And hour number two is now underway at nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer. It's a Tuesday, the 17th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord 2020. And before I introduce our regular Tuesday guest, got an email here from Kenny in response to our last uh, um, interview and uh, my debate with Dr. Davidson. He said, good morning, Bob. When it comes to wearing masks, they have nothing else. This is their fail-safe position, and people are getting more and more stupid and more and more lazy. DeWine's diapers are their last resort. The next step is threats of arrest, and they are already making threats of arrest. Kenny, you're a thousand percent right. They have nothing else. They know that the masks don't work. They know it. The evidence is irrefutable that masking doesn't work. Study after study after study, not to mention, like I said a few moments ago, we're spiking now, and Governor DeWine has been praising Ohioans for 85 to 95% of the population following the mask mandate. If they worked, the spike wouldn't happen. They don't work. But you are a 1,000% right. It's their fail-safe. It's their last resort. This is all they've got. They can't stop the virus. They know they can't stop the virus. It's a virus. It's a global pandemic, and they can't stop it, but they have to make it look to the constituents as if they're doing something. So they're saying, masking, that'll save us. It just makes the sheep feel comfortable to say, okay, they found something that'll work, even though it is the empirical data says it does not. All right, let's bring in Peter Kirsten now. Now, he is that regular Tuesday guest that I mentioned. He, of course, is a Cleveland attorney. He is a best-selling author. He's a columnist for National Review. He hosts the Kirsten Now Report, and most importantly, he is a member of the United... A survivor, I think he said, the longest surviving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Peter, good morning. How are you, sir? You know, doing not too bad, considering everything that's going on in the country. You know, um, I'm very pleased, though, to see my fellow Americans stand up and not be buffaloed by... Well, uh, the media and the left, um, they're standing firm. And, uh, you know, I've heard from so many people who say, look, um, with respect to the election itself, they're going to fight until the last dog is dead. And uh, I think that needs to be done. I really do. Uh, There's a lot of questions about what's going on. And even if at the end of the day, um, you know, Trump doesn't prevail, uh, we can't simply be steamrolled. There's just so much going on. We've heard for four years 
about an illegitimate election. Now, all of a sudden, we're supposed to just shut up and be quiet. You know, and there's far more evidence that this election, or at least the tentative results, are illegitimate than there ever was with respect to Russia, where there was nothing. But they were obsessed about it. We were, we were made to pay attention. But now, all of a sudden, no, don't have to, don't have to be concerned about uh, what appears to be numerous irregularities. I'm putting that mildly. Yeah, no question about that. There is a ton here. There's Pete, there's three things that I really want to get into with you today. One of them is indeed the election. We'll save that for a little bit from now. The second is going to be toxic masculinity as it is defined by the American left. But I want to start with just pick up for for a minute or two here. You know what Mike DeWine is planning. Uh, He announced last week, he said, I'll give you one week, one week. One week to get these numbers down or else I'm going to have to institute uh, a lockdown or a shutdown of bars and restaurants and gyms in particular. And there are going to be more things that come along with that. He gave us one week to stop something that has a two-week incubation period. Just just throwing that out there. And and cases from weeks and weeks ago are just now being reported every day. Uh, and yet he's going to use that as if it's current and make a decision on locking down the state, shutting down uh, winter sports, uh, making schools go virtually remote or full virtual rather. Uh, and, and of course, uh, you know, it's, it's only going to be a matter of time. He says it's not going to be a shutdown at the start. It's only going to be a slowdown of the American or the Ohio economy. And all that means is he's going to do it in phases. It's going to be this, this week, another thing next week, and eventually full on shelter in place. So Peter Kersenow, that, I mean, I, I went on a, impassioned, impromptu um, rant on this in the first hour. This is just a full-on attack on our liberties in every aspect. Literally, our freedom to live in our homes as we wish. You know, Akron is is already uh, telling people if they have guests in their home, they all must be wearing masks at the same time, the, 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 the homeowners and the guests. Um, uh, or else they will be issued fines. Uh, people are going to be arrested after curfews and so forth. They're literally attacking the foundational liberty upon which this republic was built, and uh, and people are going along with it because they're scared to death. Well, what's perplexing about this, Bob, there are a number of things that are perplexing, um, but it's been at least eight months now since we were told that if we do the things that they're now prescribing, that uh, you know we'd be in good shape. They would flatten the curve. And remember what the initial outset, uh, the initial aim was at the outset of this, and that was to make sure that hospitals weren't overwhelmed. Well, hospitals weren't overwhelmed, and they kept hitting us with this mask mandate and further restrictions and lockdowns. And we had significant economic dislocation. We still have millions of people who remain unemployed. Although the economy has rebounded spectacularly, nonetheless, tremendous economic and personal harm has been done to so many Americans. It's extraordinary, and you have to do a kind of a balancing test, especially in the light of what we've seen. We now have empirical evidence, Bob. This is what's different than back in March. Back in March, you know, many governors, um, because not much was known, this was a new virus, and they took probably the most cautious approach, which uh, I, I know you were skeptical of it. I was skeptical of it. But nonetheless, back then, I would have at least given them the benefit of the doubt for a period of time, because what they were doing was causing tremendous economic harm, and hopefully it would be justified by the preservation of life. Well, it didn't turn out to be that way. And all of the things that they told us would happen did not happen. All of the prescriptions that they came up with had marginal, if any, effect. And let's say it did have an effect. The, the bottom line here is we still have a disease. What, what's extraordinary? Let me back up. Um, 
This remains a disease that is contagious, it's serious, we should take it seriously, but it is survivable at nearly a 99% rate or more for most people. 99.9%. CDC says in the general population, 99.9, and for people in the elderly and compromised and vulnerable population, um, 94.6. So, and again, not to say that it's okay for 3.4% of the people you know, in the elderly population to die, but that is the most vulnerable. And yes, we can take steps to do things for them without locking up the, you know, the 99.9% of the population that recovers from this. Go ahead. Well, so we, we did the masks. I know that, you know, many of us, I, I would come to work every day. Most people didn't, uh, you know, go to work in office spaces. And a lot of businesses, whether it was an office or not, caused uh, shutdown or they either shut down or uh, if they were essential businesses, they had remote working. Um, then we had, you know, in the summertime, people a little bit more liberation and still people are wearing masks. We kept hearing masks, 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 masks. Um, now we here we are again. This is our literally the third mass shutdown we're having, and we now have empirical evidence that we don't see any true benefit to this. I mean, if you're doing a cost-benefit analysis, and I hope I hate to engage in this kind of cost-benefit analysis, but it's, it's imperative when you're talking about not just economic dislocation, but fundamental impingements on liberty that seem to go to a large extent unnoticed. I mean, there are even minor things to our individual liberties that we have just kind of you know, uh, uh, assumed are okay. There's, uh, it's a very important thing to do to push back so that we don't get used to and permit our governments to get used to issuing these ridiculous edicts. Many of them are just flat out ridiculous. They don't have, all they seem to be is an exercise in raw brute power. If you go to Michigan, California, other places, the stuff they do is just absolutely, uh, I was going to say something. It's just absolutely insane. <laughs> um, uh, and here in Ohio, I'm still perplexed. What is going on here? I've been following this, maybe not as closely as you have, Bob. I know you've been really on top of this, and, and you know our, our friend Tom Z has too. But um, I've been following it as closely as, any, as anybody else, the average layperson. And I'm mystified. I want to give our governmental leaders the benefit of the doubt. I voted for our governmental leaders, or many of them, because I was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that in close situations they'd make the right call. But we've got a lot of experience now. And back in March and April when I was on your show, I was still, I was, I was probably not just perplexed, but I was a little outraged at the draconian measures they were taking because it plainly it became plainly apparent within a short period of time that they weren't accomplishing what they sought to accomplish, and we shouldn't be yielding our liberties casually. And, and I don't mean that, you know, a life and death situation is casual, but when you don't have this type of evidence to support what you've been doing, when we've been doing it in the past, and we haven't been able to show that what you've prescribed has a direct relationship to any kind of diminution of the caseload, and that's another thing, the, the definition of cases, or sickness or deaths, um, then at, at some point, the burden of proof falls heavily on government to tell us why it is we have to abandon our freedoms. Uh, and, and literally, and, Pete, we're, we're talking about our freedoms. I want to jump in here for a second so I can ask you about this specifically. My daughter, as you know, goes to Hillsdale up in uh, the People's Republic of Michigan. And um, Gretchen Whitmer's orders are a little bit different. Now, what I'm going to read to you, because my daughter was uh, infected by the coronavirus a couple of weeks back or a few weeks back. She did her mandatory quarantining in, uh, on the campus, and, uh, and she's back to normal now. But this arrived at our home 
uh, from the Branch Hillsdale St. Joseph Community Health Agency, your local health department up there in Hillsdale. And it's a letter. It's a warning notice. Literally, not an information, a warning notice for prevention of transmission of communicable diseases. And it reads in part, we fully anticipate that you will voluntarily protect others by complying with the prescribed instructions within this letter. However, if you fail to take the actions prescribed in this warning notice, warning notice, the health agency shall petition the circuit court to seek an order to compel your compliance, which may result in you being taken into protective custody. To protect the public's health. Peter, when we say our liberties here, we don't just mean uh, to, to look how I want to look, wear a mask if I want to or not want. We're talking liberty versus imprisonment. Protective custody, they're going to arrest people who come down with the virus if they find out they're not fully, quote unquote, complying with whatever the hell the health department says they have to do. They can take people essentially under arrest. Again, this is not the republic, uh, you know, that was founded upon individuals' liberty to not be imprisoned for committing no crimes. Go ahead. Americans need to be alarmed by this. First of all, we shouldn't be focused on whether or not the government, or shouldn't solely be focused on whether or not the government has authority to do one thing or another. In this particular case, what you just described, the first thing that strikes me is, you know, uh, Fifth Amendment and uh and frankly fourth amendment due process or fifth amendment due process rights and fourth amendment rights also uh but let's put aside that for a second and i don't do that casually it's the law um you know and it provides us with our liberties and then you know there's state statutes that give you know many states extraordinary authority in public health emergencies but i think that's the wrong inquiry we've gotten so hyper technical with respect to this we keep looking at whether or not it's legal as opposed to whether it's illegal as opposed to whether it's something that is reasonable or merited or um justifiable aside from the law because we in america have broad freedoms the the scope of freedoms transcend any minutia in the law and we should always be focused first on protecting those freedoms is it consistent with what the founding fathers had had thought and when you do something like that it's just truly extraordinary because it it sounds i hate to say this but it sounds so soviet it is so antithetical to what we as americans have always believed our country was about and it's a little disturbing that there isn't a lot more pushback to this Look, uh, let, let me stop you there, Pete. That's a, that's a, that's a good end of a sentence to end the segment because I got to get out here anyway. It's ten twenty-two. We'll talk more about that pushback, and we also have two other subjects to discuss: masculinity under attack, and yes, uh, the election election fraud that has led to uh, quote unquote the presumptive president elect Biden. I want to get all of your thoughts on that, Kirsten. Now, as we continue. Okay, 1026. We can continue now with uh, Peter Kirsten. Now, Peter, I apologize uh, for uh, having to cut you off there at the last part there, but uh, if you want to finish your thought on this, we can do that before we move on to the masculinity. Well, just, uh, I was simply going to say, look, we should be erring on the side of freedom, especially in the light of the fact that the so-called experts, but especially our political leaders with respect to the coronavirus, have bungled it and gotten it wrong. They keep telling us contrary things. 
they don't present any empirical evidence. They've been issuing draconian lockdowns. They've been harming our economy and harming people in the process. It's a serious disease, but nonetheless, it's one that we deal with. We deal with serious things all the time. Again, not diminishing this whatsoever. I think individuals are taking precautions as they deem fit. But when the government of the United States, the governments of the United States at the local and state level start imposing these kinds of restrictions, again, without the type of empirical evidence that I think most ordinary human beings would want if they're being asked to shut down businesses and harm themselves economically and just giving up their fundamental freedoms, that kind of slippery slope, I, I think that it's something that is, I've not seen it before in American history. And there's a reason for that, and we should always be concerned if we haven't seen anything like that in American history, and we are giving up fundamental freedoms. And, and not just fundamental freedoms, small freedoms. We've been ceding things at the local, state, and federal level over you know, my entire lifetime that Americans never would have ceded to the government before. They are our servants, not the other way around. But unfortunately, if you look to Michigan, if you look to California, some of these individuals are acting as if we are their servants. Yeah, well, no doubt about that, especially after the story I just told you. But um, is it time then, Pete, for civil disobedience? Is it time for business owners, if Mike DeWine tries to put the clamps on them, stop? I mean, look, I don't know the exact number, but I know it was an extraordinary percentage of businesses that were forced into temporary closure this past spring and into the summer never reopened. The ones that survived did so against all odds. Somehow, some way, without taking in any revenue, they still had to pay all their bills. They had to pay their leases. They had to pay their, their, their um, utilities. They had to pay their insurance and so forth. They survived. They won't survive another lockdown. Is it time for business owners to unite across this state and say, um, I, d- I don't care what Mike DeWine says. We are open for business. Come on in, people. And for the people to say, we will support you when you do so. Because they just cannot do this again. They, they cannot. The businesses won't survive. The employees won't survive going on unemployment. It's again, right before the holiday, by the way, right before Christmas, going on unemployment. Is it time for that civil disobedience, that rise up that Dr. Atlas talked about? All I can say is what I would do personally. Uh, I'm never going to advise anybody to engage in any kind of civil disobedience or violating the law. But the question is, is this a law and is it a valid law? Um, I would do what's necessary to protect my livelihood. If I truly believed that uh, there's a question as to the legality or legitimacy, and by legitimacy I mean the substantive legitimacy of an order, uh, then I would do what's necessary to make sure that my business survives, my family survives, and I'm not going to let some pinhead strike that. I don't mean some some person who seems to exercise authority without a foundation. That is, there's been the, the empirical evidence has been dashed to a large extent as to the efficacy of these kinds of lockdowns, and if they are efficacious at all, it's it's temporary at best. So I would make sure, look, everybody's got to take their own measure and make their own decisions. My decision would be I preserve my business, I preserve my livelihood because they haven't persuaded me that they know what the heck they're doing. 
That's very well said, Pete. And I understand you can't advise anybody to violate a law, and you correctly, in my opinion, ask, is this really a law? And the answer is no, it's not a law. These are health orders being handed down by boards of health and and governors, and they claim that uh, they have the authority to do so under laws that give the uh, you know executives power in a, in a in a health emergency. But no, there is no law that says this must happen, that must happen, or this you know business must close. So uh, I completely understand your point, Pete. We're going to talk about toxic mass. Masculinity. It is under attack like maybe never before. And um, as you well know, because you have talked about this ad nauseum, whiteness is under attack. Add those two things together and, t- and uh, white males are the, the bane of the existence of the people in this country. I want to get your thoughts on that as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. sides to every story there's the mainstream media side and then there's the truth you are experiencing the truth the bob france authority on am 1420 the answer yeah not a bad song choice there dj Derek. the boys are back in town if they are indeed allowed to remain boys we continue now with peter Kirshenau. we're talking about this attack on masculinity they call it on the left toxic masculinity the promotion of gender fluidity the promotion of males transitioning whether in title or not into some version of females which is just beyond dangerous uh peter Kersenau, vogue magazine not that i would ever read or study up on vogue magazine for any reason in fact Candace Owens, somebody I do study up on because she does some brilliant work in uh, advancing conservative causes, particularly on on behalf of of black people in America. But Candace Owens was just dragged on Twitter yesterday for commenting on this Vogue photo shoot that featured pop star Harry Styles wearing ball gowns. Um, Harry Styles was quoted as saying, there's so much joy to be had in playing with clothes. It just becomes such an extended part of creating something closer to have fun with and experiment with and play with. It's really exciting that all of these lines are just crumbling away. Well, the lines aren't supposed to crumble away. There should be lines between men and women because they are two different sexes. They are not fluid. They are not, uh, uh, malleable. They are not interchangeable. And Candace Owens said as much, quote, in her um, tweet, Peter, there is no society that can survive without strong men. The East knows this. In the West, the steady feminization of our men at the same time that Marxism is being taught to our children is not a coincidence. It's an outright attack. Bring back manly men. All right, Peter, she was dragged for that because, of course, she is anti-trans. She is anti, well, virtually everything that uh, gender fluidity says is supposed to be the new norm in 2020. Um, I I can't even begin to explain. That's why you're here to explain how dangerous it is to, uh, to, um, uh, to oppose what she said, manly men and masculinity as if it is something to be, uh, to be dreaded. Yeah, this is really the subject of a multi-hour conversation because it's that important, and it goes beyond simply the whole trans issue. It's a much deeper discussion, and Candace Owens can handle herself very well, obviously, and she's exactly right. Now, you know, Bob, you've heard me say on your show several times that if you want to know what the left has planned for society five to ten years from now, 
come to a Civil Rights Commission hearing today uh, because this is where they test drive all of their ideas, and they've been doing that for a while. We've discussed it on this show. But this, one of the reasons why they attack Candace Owens, one of the reasons why, for example, they try to censor books and commentary on this. Um, if anyone saw Tucker last night, this has been an ongoing matter for quite some time. Author Abigail Shearer wrote about this explosion in the trans, um, uh, this whole trans issue. Um, and when they try to censor, it, you know that's an indication that they don't have confidence in their positions and arguments. They don't want to debate these arguments. They want to shut it down because they know they don't have a defensible posture. But this is an extremely important issue because it goes to cultural socialism, um, the long march through the institutions. The aim here is to, well, they become hyper identitarian. That is, identity is key, but at the same time, they want to erase past social structures, because this is all an attempt to remake society. It goes along with critical race theory. It's all one of a piece. And it goes, as I said, it's a part of cultural socialism, not necessarily merely economic socialism of a Marx, but the cultural socialism of a Gramsci, um, uh, Antonio Gramsci. Uh, it's very deep. It's a long fight on their part, and they're getting close to the end where they've erased differences between men and women. They continue to emphasize differences where it doesn't make any sense to emphasize the differences, like on the basis of race or anything like that. N- notice that, that they are hypersensitive to issues of race. But when it comes to things like differences between men and women, well, there's no such thing. This, this is the party of science is telling us that these biological, uh, clear biological demarcations are mere social con- constructs. If you deny science like that, there's going to be a big crash and burn. No doubt about that whatsoever. But um, there are numerous collateral, collateral consequences to this, most of which are not good. And before we start censoring people who have opinions that, frankly, were unremarkable up until five years ago, we better be sure what path we're going down. We don't know what path we're going down, but it doesn't appear to be one that makes any common sense whatsoever. It's one that requires censorship because at this point, no one's been able to come up with any good reason why a man is not a man and a woman is not a woman. Um, you know, it used to be those kinds of things were inarguable. It's not to say that there are some people who, you know, may have some kind of uh, uh, difference with respect to that or a psychological uh, uh, inclination in one direction or another. But when you start to say we should be erasing differences and they don't make any difference, uh, let's, I don't even know what to say to that at this point. I'd like to say something erudite, but it, it doesn't merit that kind of a response. One other thing, Um, there is something biological going on, and, you know, many of you probably are aware of this, that uh, there is an extraordinary thing going on in, mainly in Western populations that we know of. There hasn't been any true scientific measure of this, to my knowledge, um, of Asian populations, African populations, but in Western populations, there has been, many scientists have noted over the last 35 years, there's been a significant decrease in testosterone among young males. Uh, and it's accelerating, and it's not a small measure. It's, it's in the 20 or 30th percentile, maybe even more, across the board. Um, from a scientific perspective, something needs to be, you know, I think 
we need some answers to that because it starts to affect not just our social structures, but uh, as strange as it may sound, uh, maybe doesn't sound that strange in the year 2020, but it has, you know, some implications for, you know, who we are as a species. So um, there's some, there's something going on here. Don't know what it, you know, there are all kinds of theories related to it. I'm not equipped to address those things. Nonetheless, um, what is happening here, as I said, is an erasure of previous social norms. We don't know the direction in which we're going. We're going in a direction that is clearly anti-science, anti-common sense, and at least at the very beginning of this construct, what we should be concerned about is this effort to punish, uh, eradicate, censor those people and opinions that don't go in this leftist direction. Uh, because they need to censor it. As I said, I'm repeating myself, but it's important to remember that when they censor, it's because they know their position is indefensible, yet they still want to achieve the result of their position. So that should be an alert that, to anybody, and especially in the United States of America. Well, that testosterone news is an alert. I did not know that, uh, and I cannot imagine what the cause of that is, and I'm hopeful that science can figure that out. But to, to the last point that you made, Peter, about our culture, I think you said our, our norms, our social norms. I was listening to Dennis Prager the other day. I think it was last week at some point they were talking about this. And his point was spot on. I don't know what percentage of the U.S. population or of the world's population considers itself trans. I don't know what percentage that is of, of people with a psychological delusion. And that's what it is. People need to understand this, too. Gender confusion exists in the mind, not in the body. The body is right. The body's biological, anatomical, physiological, and chromosomal sex determination is right, always, because that's the way that it is. And if somebody can't handle that, they have a psychological issue, they can't re reconcile their mind with what they see on their body. So I don't know what percentage of people that is, but as Dennis said, it's, it's infinitesimally small. And we should not be expecting the rest of the natural world to alter and change its social or cultural norms because of an intestinally small, we sympathize with them, we feel for them, we really hope they get the assistance they need, we hope that they find a way to make themselves happy, but we cannot change you know, what, what our cultural norms have been since the beginning of mankind, whether it be you know, in various places of undress, whether it be, you know, locker rooms and restrooms, whether it be, you know, boys and girls competing in the same sports, all the, di the different things, you know, that are being done to, to, you know, to kowtow to this itsy bitsy, teeny weeny, tiny population of people who have a psychological disorder, Peter. We cannot do that. That is not how this works. We wish them well. We hope for the best for them. We don't change the way the world operates because of them. And you don't attack people who held uh, this position. Uh, I mean, up until just a few years ago, the the great icons, uh, Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, all these folks thought the same way. 
just until a few years ago, for thousands of years in That's mankind's right. history. And all of a sudden, if you hold this position, and there's been no great revelation or discovery, scientific discovery or otherwise, or some type of rationality, some enlightenment that's dawned upon us that, uh, you know, we were wrong for thousands of years. Nothing like that happened. political correctness is all it is. You're not allowed to make anybody feel bad. That's it. That's period. That's right. The end of the story. No one is allowed to ever feel bad ever and have their feelings hurt or, quote, take offense. And if you do give offense, even if you're not intending to, by saying, hey, you are a female biologically and anatomically, you have to go in the female's restroom, you have offended, you have violated a a, a, a new political correctness, you know, no norm, if you will, and that must be stopped. That's all it is, is PC. It is PC, and, um, you know, going back to something you said, the battlefront here is being fought probably most effectively by traditional feminists because they see what the danger is in doing something like this, at least in the short term. The long-term implications are profound, but in the short term, it is those kinds of things, such as look at Title IX, women's participation in sports. We have seen so many at the, at the state high school level, <laughs> it, just a few males, just a few males who are trans have dominated women's track in a number of states and set all kinds of records that are not going to be broken by biological women any time in the next 50 years, if at all. And it's happening in wrestling, it's happening in weightlifting, and pretty soon, Title IX is simply going to be irrelevant because you're going to have, and it doesn't take many men, many males to do this. It's just been a few males who've done it, but they've dominated everything. It's, it's almost as if you had the Tour de France and you allowed somebody to ride a motorcycle and everybody else had to ride a bike. You cannot compete on that level because men and women are fundamentally different. Again, where's the party of science on all this? Yeah, you're a thousand percent right, Peter. And, um, you know, what, what, what's so frustrating about this is, again, and, and by the way, Prager owes me a, a, a check, I think, for all the promotion I'm doing here, is that if you just listen to the girls um, who are suffering, just, you know, you brought up the sports things in the 50 years, um, right now on PragerU, I just saw this yesterday, there is a video that was done by Selena Soul. You probably remember her name, Pete, because you and I have discussed the Connecticut situation where right. the boys... I'm, very, are I'm well familiar girls. with it, yep. Yeah. Well, Prager University had Selena Soul do a PragerU video. You know the Prager University videos and how mm-hmm. awesome they are. She is is speaking to what she and her fellow female athletes have suffered because of this. And it's one thing to make them suffer because of this. It's another thing to then demonize them as bigots if they stand up for themselves. And that's one of the things that she says in the video. I cannot emphasize it enough. I'll put it on my parlor uh, feed uh, a little bit later on. But she says right now, <clears throat> excuse me, Right now, biological boys are being allowed to set records on the girls' teams, deleting girls' records, erasing the achievements of actual girls, etc., and setting a standard no a positive, uh, no a girl can meet, no matter how much she tries or trains. And then says, worst of all, when girls try to object, when we point out the truth that biological, biological differences in strength and speed between boys and girls are massive and real, we're called bigots. Administrators, teachers, coaches, and other students tell us to keep quiet and just take it. We're told a girl's place is to be seen and not heard. And she says, we won't be silenced. We're fighting back. And we know this because Alliance Defending Freedom uh, represented those girls in a lawsuit against the state of Connecticut. But this is the... This is the the issue here. It's not only are the girls, real girls, being told you're not important, but also you know important enough to have your own sports and, and, and be your own persons. 
but they're being called bigots. They're being insulted uh, as being some sort of, you know, uh, 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 you know, prejudiced, you know, uh, individuals if they uh, if they actually fight for their own rights. Pete, I'll give you the last thought. Yeah, it's not too much. It's not overstating the issue to say that if we do not push back, and it's a tough thing to do because you can be ostracized, lose your job, etc. But if we don't push back on this totalitarian, and that's precisely what it is, totalitarian instinct to punish and, and ostracize those who hew to norms, scientifically proven norms, if we don't do that, if we don't push back against that, we're going to lose America. It's, that's not overstating the issue. It's imperative, as hard as it is, for each individual to stand firm for truth, objectivity, and scientific validation. And what has happened in the country over the last several years, but we have seen, and I, I bet you all of your audience members concur, we've seen this kind of creeping, for lack of a better term, insanity where up is down, black is white, and uh, all previous norms are just jettisoned for an overarching attempt to impose leftism. It must be resisted. And that's what it is. It is just, they are you, it's just the identity politics of, of uh, politics of leftism. They will find a group that they can paint as a victim group, say, we represent you in order to advance left, leftism. Very well said. Peter, we will discuss the state of the election and the president not conceding and continuing the fight the next time we chat. I know that fight is still going to be going on then. Thank you, my friend. Take care, Bob. All right, that's Peter Kirsten now at AM 1420, The Answer. Our final segment will be a short one, but it's yours next, AM 1420, The Answer. Come round. No, no, nothing can break, no, nothing can break me down. I'm the man. Come round. Okay, 1057. I'm going to get a couple of phone calls in here before the top of the hour and the uh, end of this broadcast. Larry is in Twinsburg. And you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Larry, go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Great, great show. Great, great, great uh, uh, guests. You know, while the, the more the governor is uh, pushing these masks, uh, the more this virus is skyrocketing. I mean, the more people that wear masks, the, the more people get this virus. That, to me, that equals nothing more than the masks are the problem. But that's not really the problem. I agree. The real problem is while he's do, uh, pushing these masks, he's not looking for what is what could be uh, something to really help cure this virus. That's, that's the real problem, because he's wasting time on these masks that <laughs> they aren't working. That's well, it. I agree with the first part, not so much the second. And thanks for the call, Larry, because it's not the executive's job to, quote unquote, look for the cure, look for the, uh, you know, the, the vaccine, et cetera, et cetera. There are doctors who are doing that. But public officials, uh, executives like Mike DeWine are indeed responsible. You're a thousand percent right for trying to establish policies that don't harm people. And I think the masking mandate harms people. Rose in Fairlawn. She was on earlier. She's back on now. Uh, Rose, go right ahead. What's on your mind? Um, I just wanted to quickly state, my sister lives in North Dakota, and the mm-hmm. fact that North Dakota, he, he said that North Dakota has not been having that, North Dakota has been under mask mandates for the last three to four months. Bismarck, Grand Forks, Fargo, even the little city that my sister lives in, Jamestown, they have been in under absolute mask mandates, and, and it just infuriates her because she said she goes into these stores, you know, or wherever she goes, and Everybody is wearing a mask. So just because Bergam just now finally initiated a statewide uh, mask mandate, right? 
that has nothing to do with anything because that's I have to admit. Yeah, I have to admit, Rose, and, I, and thanks for the call. Um, I did not know about the North Dakota story when my guest, Dr. Davidson, talked about that. So I'll take your word for it since you have somebody there firsthand living through it. I had not been aware of anything having to do with North Dakota. But I think most of us agree that the masking issue is an absolute uh, fraud. It really, really is. Uh, thanks so much for the time, everybody. Stay here for Gallagher. We'll see you tomorrow.